Alrighty, there he is. Uh, it is episode, what is it, 76, season three, Stick to Hockey Live, Jason Martinez, Anthony DeMarco, at a DeMarco 25 on Twitter, and of course, all his work on the fourth period and the fourth period.com. What is happening, Ant? Is it a shootout win tonight or what? <laughs> no game tonight, but anyway. Yeah, it's tomorrow at Arizona State University. <laughs> Which is a whole gong show unto itself, the fact that that game is going to be held there. But holy shit, what a week, right? Like, back-to-back, I think it's always hard in the NHL to beat the same team two times in a row when you've played each other two times in a row. And it doesn't have to be on back-to-back days, but just the home-and-home. And then to beat the Penguins in this situation, first in the shootout and then in overtime, I was pretty stunned that they were able to get both of them. I'm not sure if you could hear that car alarm yeah, in the back. There's I think always something. your neighborhood hates us. I know it's crazy. Thank God it's done now. <laughs> but yeah, like um, the win against Pittsburgh, that's a hell of a win for this team, and it's kind of putting them in a position that I don't think anyone expected through 25 games. And I do think that there's still a part of the fan base that resents them playing this well. But at the same time, given how many younger players and I guess, quote unquote, future pieces of this team are contributing to this, it's hard to really not root for what they're doing. Well, there's definitely a a faction of people that aren't. And and like, I'm so look, I'm just going to say it as bluntly as I can. I'm so fucking tired of it. These people that say, oh, they're fucking up the rebuild. They're doing this. What do you do if young players and they're playing young players? Let's not act like they're not. Yeah, Mark Stahl's gotten in a little bit since he's been back, but he's also been scratched healthy since he's been back. And do you want him to just keep rolling Zamula out there and playing him 18 minutes if he's overwhelmed? That doesn't help a dude's development. I got news for people. That doesn't help. That hurts. Yeah, like, look, I think there's, I guess, a justification on both sides of this argument. For me, like, I would like to see Zamula get a stretch of games to see if he could find his footing. Looks like he he's going to get back in tomorrow. He did, have a stretch when, he did have a stretch when Stahl was out, and he got over. Yeah, for sure. So, But at the end of the day, it's like Stahl has been better. And mm-hmm. is Zamula going to be a main piece of this team going forward? Probably not. But, I mean, I, I could understand being frustrated with some things on a micro scale. But on a macro scale... A lot of these young players are contributing in big ways. You have Forster on the top power play unit and the top line. You have Brink consistently in the top nine. Frost now is consistently in the lineup. Cam York's on the top pair. Urson's the backup. Like, just because all kids aren't playing, it doesn't mean that no kids are playing. And it doesn't mean that the rebuild is a complete and utter failure. So you could disagree on certain individual decisions. And I think that's fair to debate. And question, like, like not everything is always going to appease every single fan, but you also have to be objective and say, well, I disagree with this, but on a macro scale, it's going well. And on a macro scale, it really is going well. Yeah. Um, Look, part of it, Danny Briere said this, you know, players are ultimately going to determine the arc of this rebuild and it's not over. And I think we're further into it than people realize. Because just because they didn't call it that under Chuck Fletcher, and there was some confounding decisions under Chuck Fletcher that didn't say rebuild, you know, the extension of Sanheim, the extension 
of Ristolainen after the trade, and there's other there's other moves in there as well. But um, they are just this isn't year one of a rebuild, and not every rebuild is the same. And it was never going to be a tear it down rebuild because you have players like Frost, like Tippett, like Cates, who's out of the lineup right now, like York, um, like Zamula, and you know those types of players that you got to figure out what they are. And they started that process last year of finding out who was who and what was what. And they shipped three guys out of here. JVR was expiring. Hayes was a big contract and didn't fit the timeline. They knew that didn't fit the style of play and the standard of accountability. And then Provorov had an accountability issue as well, apparently, because a lot of guys have now flourished with his departure. And I don't know if it's directly because of his departure, but I don't want to say it's not, that's not an element of it. I believe that there is an element of that. Hey, like I said, I was a big Provorov defender and I've had to eat my words because Sanheim is... the jersey is, hanging up there, Ant? It's right there, the white one okay. yeah, with, the, gonna, with the letter A. It's get you there. Number, let's flip the nine around and make it a six. Yeah. <laughs> and hopefully that six has an A on his jersey sooner rather than later. Yeah, talked about that but, last week. But I think that I've had to eat my words on Provorov because Sanheim has stepped into Provorov's shoes on the offside and done exponentially better. Now, do I think that it was all Provorov's fault? No, but the proof is in the pudding here. And I think that getting that room right, as John Tortorella has said, was very important. And I spoke to someone on Monday night, and I think that the rebuild was almost as much about the culture and the entire attitude of the team as it was about getting more talent in here. And you're right, like as much as Chuck Fletcher made mistakes and had his faults, and there were many, what they did well under him was draft. And I guess you could attribute that more to Brent Flair, who is still here and probably for good reason. But you see a lot of the guys that are contributing now, whether it be Forster, Brink, York, uh, Tippett, who he acquired in in the trade for Claude Giroux. These are Chuck Fletcher additions. And like you said, maybe along the way since 2018 or since 2022, they've made moves that weren't completely conducive with a rebuild, Sanheim extension, trade for D'Angelo, Ristolain and all that. But in 2022, they were kind of hedging on a rebuild with the Giroux trade, the drafting of Cutter Gossier. I think they had a really good draft in 2022. So why were you going to tear it down to the studs and do a, I guess, typical or historically typical rebuild when you had this many young pieces that were ready to start flirting with a full-time NHL job. And now you've gotten rid of, gotten rid of those problem children. You've gotten the room, right? You have some veterans who maybe aren't the best on ice contributors, but are helping in the room. And all of a sudden you're playing the best fundamental hockey since 2019-20. And there's something to be said about that and what it means for these young guys moving forward. Yeah, I think that's, you know, the big thing is these young guys are moving forward and the reason why they're better and not, you know, going to to put them in the, the you know, the top of the lottery odds to to win the number one, two or three pick is because young guys are playing better. You know, it's not the old guys leading the way. Let, let me give you some of these numbers. Amp. I talked about this on Flyers Daily the other day and on the pregame show. They've played 25 games this year. We're now at a, a relatively decent sample size and i'm not, based on these numbers too i'm not changing any of my expectations that i have going into the season i'm not saying playoffs and i know they're sitting in a playoff position right now third spot in the division um but last year at this time through 25 games 
They were 8, 12, and 5. They scored 59 goals, and they allowed 82 goals. And let's remember, in the beginning of the year, the first nine games, Carter Hart was, I think he was 6-0-2 through his first eight games, and he had about a 945 save percentage. He was otherworldly. Then the wheels fell off the wagon, 10-game losing skid in the month of November. Uh, but again, 59 goals for 82 goals allowed, 8-12-5. This year through 25, Records better, obviously. Five wins better. 13, 10, and two. They have 74 goals for. So what's that? 60. That's 15 more goals in 25 games. And they allowed only 70 this year. That is 12 goals less in 25 games than they did the year before. To me, that's a sign of progress. We kind of had that conversation. What does progress look like this year? Is it is it just predicated on the standings after 82? Well, through the 25, based on those numbers, to me, that is progress. And I know some people just want to go crazy and go, they need another top three overall pick. No, they need a number one power play defenseman. How many times do we have to go through it that Charlie McAvoy was selected 14th overall and that David Posternock, one of the best power play weapons in the entire NHL, was taken 26th overall? You don't need to draft there. You need to draft well and develop. Yeah, no, for sure. And you also need to install a good culture. Like I was talking to someone the other day with the Flyers and they said to me, you know, look at what a losing culture did to a quality group of young players in Giroux, Voracek, Simmons, Sean Couturier, Braden Shen almost 10 years ago. They were a hell of a crop of young forwards, but they got so accustomed to losing. And you can make the same argument to like the Provorovs, the Konechnys and the Sandheims. Now, Sanheim and Konechny have kind of come out the back end of that, but Provorov was not the same guy when he left here as when he showed up. Like in 1920, Provorov was like the, the golden child here. People were thinking that he was going to contend for a Norris one day, scoring, what, almost 20 goals in back-to-back seasons, I think. So losing hurts everyone, and it's infectious in a terrible, terrible way. And if this was a team of like, pending UFAs and guys that weren't being part of the future, I would understand the fans' concern. But how many of the guys on the roster aren't going to be part of the solution in two to three years? Atkinson, maybe. Katori, mm-hmm. if they could find a taker from, but maybe even not. You know, Stahl and Sealer. Like, there's a lot of guys on this roster who, at least age-wise and play-wise, could project to be part of the future here. So, I mean... I really do believe that there is a give and take of keeping the culture going in the right direction and doing what's best for the future. And I think that's why when you see them talk about only parting with Sean Walker for a first round pick or hanging on to some other veterans because they don't think it's worth it to affect the room while playing so well, I think that's because they're trying to not make the same mistakes as to what's happened in the past. Yeah, I agree. Um, Let's play this clip because I had a chance for the 1,000th episode of Flyers Daily um, to sit down with Keith Jones and Danny Breer. And I know the Flyers put this out today, and it's creating a lot of kind of conversation on social media. And I want to talk about that conversation as well. So here's uh, from the 1,000th episode of Flyers Daily uh, with Danny Breer specifically for this question. 
you know, when you're in a rebuild, some people translate rebuild as mean, well, you got to tear it down. And that means losses. You have to lose in a rebuild to eventually get better. I totally disagree with that. Um, but wins in a rebuild can be a good thing. Definitely. And, and we believe in that. We, wins are we, never bad. We period. believe not, but we believe that, you know, part of the rebuild is is having a chance and being competitive every night. If, if you're going in the game thinking you're going to lose, what are you learning? Um, that's not the mindset that we want to. Uh, you know, put in through this organization to our players. We we want them to think they have a chance to win every night. Yes, we're um, you know a little young, um, in, you know maybe a lack of uh, experience at time, but that's why we brought in guys like Mark Stahl and uh, you mentioned Garnet Athaway. Um, Sean Walker brings a little bit of that as well. So um, we try to surround our young guys with with uh, experience and to, to help them out. So the guys when they go on the ice, they believe they can win every single night. All right. All right. There he is. Uh, Danny Briere talking about a rebuild and, you know, the notion that you have to lose to get better. And, you know, it, I just, to your point, Ant, like, I think accepting losing or putting your team in a position to lose, I think it's just a fool's errand. <laughs> well, I, I think it's, you bring, you're bringing in an infection um, by free will and decision that you cannot easily rid yourself of. And I know people go, well, oh, the Buffalo Sabres, uh, they're a dumpster fire of an organization. The reason they're a dumpster fire is because they accepted losing. The reason why the Ottawa Senators are still just a total mess, coach in, coach out, they have a ton of talent there, I think, but they can't win because they accepted losing. And it's going to take a long time to weed that out. And, like, look, like, I have a lot of people talking about Cam Atkinson, how Cam has been up and down, not great recently. Could you retain salary to move him out? And look, I'll be frank with you. I think from an on-ice roster perspective, he's a bit of a pariah. I don't know where you put Cam Atkinson. I do think he's kind of blocking some kids. I don't think he's been particularly good. I'm of the belief that they should probably buy him out in the summer. That's my personal belief. When I was speaking to someone with the team, I was said, it was said to me, like, so are you going to retain, let's say, half of Cam Atkinson's salary trade him for maybe a fourth round pick. And is that fourth round pick going to be worth the effect that his departure will have on the locker room? And it's the same for a guy like, let's say Mark Stahl. Are you going to trade Mark Stahl for like a fifth round pick or whatever he may be worth? And is that fifth round pick going to be worth the effect that his departure will have on the locker room? And I think that there's a very fine line you have to walk. Like with a guy like Nick Sealer, if he could get you a second round pick, well, then it might be worth it for that effect that will have on the locker room. Sean Walker, first round pick, maybe it's worth it. Obviously, the, the conversation around Scott Lawton, very polarizing. But I think that for these guys at the bottom end of the lineup, like an Atkinson or a Stahl, you really have to be careful of just trading someone just to get any kind of asset because that asset may translate into nothing. We know the percentage of late round picks. Yeah, fifth picks round pick's not an asset. Fifth round pick's a lottery ticket. So exactly. So you really have to be careful, especially with the team playing as well as they are, upsetting the apple cart in that locker room. Because if you start trading guys during a winning streak or a good stretch of play of a young team looking to build a culture, that's a quick way to lose a lot of the trust in the guys. Yeah. Now, especially early. Especially now. Especially People's early. Move Sean Walker now. His value will never be higher. The message that would send to the locker room would it's be a tough. stain. It's yeah. tough. So 
there really is a give and take here, which I understand. And there are some moves that are can't miss, but there are some moves that you sometimes have to really like ask tough decisions. Um, one of the elements of uh, this rebuild and, and how it's being conducted is obviously, you know, we've talked about management. We just heard from Danny, but you look at the coach a lot of times here too, and usage and, and how players are being used, who's in the lineup, who's not in the lineup. And we just talked about stall in for Zamula and then Zamula will come back in for stall. And, you know, how many minutes these guys are getting Brinks been a little in and out of the lineup, obviously frost and, and it, it, rightfully so, you can question some of the decisions at times um, of usage and players who's in the lineup and who's not. Uh, but, you know, the overall consensus on torts here, I think from a lot of people is, you know, he's doing a good job and he he does deserve some credit for some of the players taking steps and other guys like Konechny and Sanheim exceeding expectations of maybe where we thought they could go in their career as they're not necessarily young guys, but kind of in the, in the teeth of their prime right now. So when you look at a guy like John Tortorella, how do you assess the job he's doing in this rebuild at this time? You know, there's a lot of people who have said that he's the wrong coach for this, that he's going to squeeze every last drop out of these guys and get wins when maybe they shouldn't be getting wins. Um, I think even Frank Saravalli has mentioned it on DFO rundown about how from a rebuild perspective, this is like a nightmare season because you are playing yourself out of a high draft pick. But in terms of reestablishing the culture and getting the most out of most young guys, I think he's kind of been what the doctor ordered here, especially given the fact that the inmates ran the asylum for so many years. You know, since Dave Haxtell, we saw Scott Gordon come and go. We saw Alain Vigneault come and go. We saw Mike, Mike Yo. Yo come and go. Yep. And like, save for the first year of Alain Vigneault, it was always kind of the same story. This team would tune out the coach. And look, there's been a lot of turnover with Hayes gone, with Voracek gone, uh, Giroud gone, Gossespierre gone, Provorov gone. And that certainly accounts for it. But the fact that they finally brought in a coach who kind of took over in an old school way and said, this is the standard, this is where we're going, I think was needed. Now, do I agree with everything John Tortorella does? No, I could rattle off half a dozen things that I've disagreed with John Tortorella on, on a micro scale. But at the same time, I could objectively say that he has this team playing the best fundamental hockey since 2019-20. And even in 2019-20, that was an objectively more talented roster. And it took Alain Vigneault probably 25 to 30 games to get them to playing that level. And you had Giroud, you had Vorchek, you had a, a Provorov, you just had better players. So the fact that John Tortorella has been able to come in here, make the team play the way they are with less talented players on the roster speaks a lot to the effect and impact he's had there. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that I think he's the best coach in the NHL and that I think everything he does is right. Like I said, I have a lot of gripes with him. But what he's done for the team and the perception of the team and just like from a spectator standpoint, the entertainment aspect of the team, I think is pretty undeniable at this juncture. And one of the things that he's done is something that I didn't expect him to do and certainly did not expect him to do at this juncture. And it was change his philosophical uh, approach to how to win in today's NHL. And 
you know, I've talked about it quite a bit on Flyers Daily and on pregame shows and stuff about how much different they are in the way they attack offensively, how aggressive they are in the offensive zone, how how much faster they are playing in transition in the neutral zone and defending their blue line. And, you know, the old thing about towards the, the narrative is uh, block shots and, you know, defend, defend, defend. And it's that's just not him. He's obviously evolved way, way beyond that. And he said in a press conference last week, and I thought it was really interesting, uh, we're doing this now so that when guys like the mad Russian get here, we're already playing the style that he needs to play. That like hit me like a two by four to the fucking head. I'm like, oh my God, they are pre-planning this guy to get over here. I don't know if it means he gets over here sooner or anything like that. I don't know about that. But what I know is the team is much more fun to watch because they are way more aggressive. Now they're going to give up some stuff because of that they're going to give up more odd man rushes because if the team does beat the pressure in a very aggressive four check or aggressively trying to hold the puck in the zone it's a, usually an odd man rush the other way and they've paid in games on several occasions even the penguins game the other night the two-on-one goal comes off that we see in the ranger game the 3-1 loss you know odd man rushes were the difference for the rangers other than the sandheim giveaway but that's what it's going to be a part of it were you surprised to hear him say that you know, this is a style we need to play. It's today's NHL, and uh, we're trying to put these high-flying pieces on the chessboard for us, and we got to start playing that way now so that when all the pieces do get here, we're already way accustomed to it. I think it shows that he's bought in, and it is kind of a shock to the system because you've always kind of pegged towards, as you mentioned, as like this defensive stalwart guy, and now he's very much emphasizing playing the brand of hockey that most teams play in today's nhl and i think it's very reassuring that core belief of defending and play without the puck yeah and and i think that we saw under vigneault and Haxall at times coaches that didn't really adapt and now tortorella is adapting like even like maybe the coach who's had the most tangible success over the last 20 years here peter laviolette who's having a lot of success with the rangers he's always kind of been the same kind of coach he always more or less coaches the same way. The and it's offense. on the, the offense and it's on the GM to give him the pieces. And he coaches a very exciting brand of hockey. But Torts at least is adapting. And I think he's aware, pardon me, of where this team is going, the pieces they have coming, and the pieces that they really haven't had since Peak Giroux and Peak Voracek. They haven't had game-breaking offensive guys since maybe – the early 2010s and maybe a a quick blip in 2018 when Giroux had that renaissance season when he moved to the wing. Like they haven't had those game breakers. They haven't had the guys that on NHL network crack the top 10 or on TSN's top 50 are always kind of flirting with that top five. Like they always just have decent to pretty good players. And I think that in today's NHL, not only to just attract fans and boost the entertainment value, You need those game breakers. You need guys that could change the game on their own, that could work outside of a coach's system be like, you know what, right now on this shift, I'm going to go and score a goal. Like Giroux did in the 2012 game six against uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins. You need guys that could operate outside of a system and have an impact each and every shift based on talent alone. And the fact that he's cognizant of that is very, very encouraging. Yeah, I, I, I got I cut up into a rabbit hole. I, Charlie O'Connor had tweeted something, and then 
there's this one douchebag on Twitter, Sean Boswell. I haven't muted, but I saw it was a muted response. And he said, so when other teams coaches misuse players, it's a problem. But when the Flyers do it, it's okay. And he pointed out, you know, Cam York's getting 22 plus minutes a game. Forster, all, 16 and a half minutes a game. Bring 15, 17 as a mula. Uh, the usage part about it. And I mean, there's people like this guy, Sean, that I, I looked at his timeline. And I don't even know why I did. I'm fucking dumber for having done it. Uh, but everything is this coach is a fucking idiot. This coach doesn't know what he's doing. He's wrong. And there's a lot of people that's an echo chamber of people that think he's the wrong guy. And look, time will tell if he was the right guy all said and done. Uh, but if you're judging, you know, based on what has happened here so far, and you believe that John Tortorella is hindering the team, I think that you're, I don't know what the fuck you're watching. <laughs> you know what well, I mean? I, I, I don't. Then you, that's the people that just want them to lose. Like JBPHI says, and he tweets in off and he goes, if you're still rooting them for the lose, you're actively ignoring the current nightmares in Edmonton and Columbus. And you're all, and I'll add to that. You're also actively rooting for guys that young guys on this roster to not be improving. Well, well, that's the big thing, right? That's like, the big one, right? Well, because you have Forster playing a prominent role. You have Tippett playing a prominent role. Now, just because of injury, you have Frost pay, playing a pretty prominent role. York is playing a prominent role. Cage was. Urson's the backup. Brink has kind of hit a slump, but he's playing a prominent role. Like, these are all guys who are going to be here for the long haul. And Konechny maybe might be part of the solution here. Ditto with Sanheim. So... Again, it's not like you're just riding older players on pending con- uh, you on pending UFA contracts. These are guys that are going to be a big part of the team going forward, presumably. You know, what we saw in that Penguin game in the overtime win in Philadelphia, game two of that two-game set, um, I, I thought the young guys in that game got a little tight. Some of the young guys in, in the lineup that night, trying to beat that team twice in a row, the whole thing. But I think the reason why the Flyers ended up winning the game, obviously the goaltending of Carhartt, I thought it was his best game of the year. I thought he was phenomenal in the game. He had more saves in other games, and he shut out Vancouver earlier in the season, and he's had some really good performances. But I thought the situational saves and you know the ebbs and flows, the momentum was so pronounced when it was shifting. Like at the end of that second period, from about the six-and-a-half-minute mark to about a minute and a half, he had to make seven saves, and there was a flurry of three that were unbelievable. And Nadelkovich was playing well, too. I, and that's the thing. You're on that razor's edge of no margin for error. This was going to be a one-goal game. You could feel it at that point. And I thought he was phenomenal. But I thought the the veteran guys, like Sean Couturier and like Sanheim, I thought that they really stepped up in that game and grabbed the game. And that's part of showing the younger guys – what they're going to need to do in these tight games. Like the the whole play that happens to win the game in overtime. I mean, you see the three players huddle up before the faceoff, faceoff left side in their D zone. Here, let me grab some. Hold on. Let me grab this. I'll grab my whiteboard. We're going to do a little chalk talk. <laughs> I got my own whiteboard here. So the faceoff's here in their D zone, right? They huddle up. Couturier's here, Sanheim, and, uh, and Konechny's here. So they win the draw. Sanheim loops behind the net. Konechny just darts, right? And they talk about this. This is a play we're going to run. Konechny darts. He rims it all the way up to him. Konechny slows down as he's going into the zone. Why? Because Couturier, as soon as he wins the draw, he starts darting. But he's lagging. They have to get the stagger right in the offensive zone, right? So they're here. So Konechny's coming down. But Couturier doesn't just drive. He sags back to give him a little angle on the pass. And boom, one-timer goal, right? I mean, that's a perfectly executed play. 
in overtime. And a young guy, I don't know that's going to be able to pull that off as the, the quarterback of it. The quarterback there is Couturier. And he's got to win the draw. He's telling his guy, I win the draw, you go, and that's the play we run. And they fucking nail it. No, <laughs> like, that's did. a huge play. It was fucking impressive. And it like you said, like those moments that veterans can give you yeah. could be very impactful to younger players. So it all makes perfect sense. And I think that as we progress more into the season, maybe you'll see Forster and York getting more situations like that. And maybe closer to the deadline, if some guys get moved out, we'll see more young guys get even depth roles. But I think that you need those veterans as well. And like I said, this isn't me saying that I've agreed with everything Torts has done. And I can nitpick a lot of things if I really want to, to prove to people that I'm not just in lockstep with everything he's doing. But I think that on a macro scale, he's done really well. And the proof is in the pudding. That's that's just a matter of it's just a matter of truth. Like they're playing well and they're not just winning on shooting percentage or goaltending that I think the combined set is like PDO or whatever, where you add up shooting percentage and save percentage, but they're playing good fundamental hockey. And there's a lot of guys who could be part of the future that are contributing to this winning. So I think you have to take that into consideration and they still have two first round picks. They still have two second round picks. I imagine they're going to add to that. And they still do have, at least two crown jewels in Gautier and Mitchkov, much more so the latter, that are good that are not even here. And I saw a question asked, like, what is this team missing but beyond the top end talent? I mean, right now, I would say that as of today, that's pretty much the only thing that's missing yeah. is a top pair D and two legit top forwards, specifically a center. Because with the way most guys are playing, I really think that this is a solid built hockey team yeah i like hathaway too yeah i like hathaway as well dude can play eight minutes and 50 seconds and and you and you know every single shift he was on the ice he never plays the game and you go i didn't really see hathaway tonight you know some guys you go is he wait is he playing tonight like you mentioned atkinson i thought he had a couple games where I, i just wasn't noticing him i wasn't noticing him negatively but i wasn't noticing him positively he was just existing he was existing yes and and look i think for him it's going to take a little time to come back I'm surprised Couturier is where he is. Um, I, I think he's had some some games where he wasn't as good as he was in the very beginning, and I, I think he's still got to work his way through it. But then you see the cerebral awareness of a guy like Sean Couturier on that on that play to do what they did. So, um, I, and I think that's going to be what's going to have to carry him the rest of his career. He's not going to all of a sudden be fast. He's never been fast. Well, <laughs> you know, even in his prime, he wasn't yeah. someone who would win battles with foot speed. And yeah, he was never someone who was going to, how would you say, like... Super skill you. <laughs> yeah, like walk in, deke out the defenseman, and go bar down. Yeah, That was never his game. It's not going to be his game into his 30s and after missing 24 months of hockey. Oh my! Can we get Tippett's shooting percentage up to 14 somehow? <laughs> it would the, help do, a lot. And that Pittsburgh, he had three just glorious chances, and he just couldn't bury Awesome. Yep. Oh, this guy, he just puts himself in positions to, to get great scoring chances. Uh, granted, two of those pucks were really rolling on him. And I thought Frost made an unbelievable angled drop pass to him for the one in the second period. And he just wasn't able to finish it. And that was yawning at him. Um, that's one thing that I'd like to see better. Uh, one thing, Ant, um, two guys, and you mentioned Cam York and you mentioned Forrester. 
we know Forster has been praised by the coaching staff quite a bit about the detail of his game. And it is, it is pretty impressive that even when he wasn't scoring, that those details did not lack. He's really good on the four check and winning board battles and York, you know, I think we think of him as an offensive defenseman, the way he's handled in particular odd man rushes, I think it's been really good the way he plays it. He doesn't give the puck carrier, you know, this grand path to the net. Um, and I'll take away the pass and, you know, goalie gets the shooter, but the shooter is going to be able to get to his, you know, his doorstep to be able to bury. He's been really good in those situations and he's got a good active stick in it as well. And he's had some real good breakups and odd man rushes. Both those players defend perhaps better than we thought they could. Yeah. I think, Tyson Forster, you can make the case, has been the most consistent forward defensively all season long. I think Sean Couture and Joel Farabee are right up there as well. Mm-hmm. And the way that he's kind of won board battles and been effective in even games before he was scoring, and I think the underlying numbers and the process and the details of his game suggested that eventually the puck was going to start going in. And now we're seeing that as well. And Cam York, to me, is just a very modern-day NHL defenseman. That's the best way I could put it. Yeah. And you look at the shots against per 60, and with the exception of Belpedio, who has only played 12 games, York is the lowest. So, I mean, there is something to be said about the way his game has translated, especially on a top pair. And look, he played a lot on the top pair with with Ivan Provorov last year, and he's had some growing pains, and you still are hoping for him to be more of an impact player on the power play, obviously, but I really like the way Cam York has played and there certainly are ways to improve his game and be more of an impact guy offensively, but defensively, like most of the team this year, I think he's been pretty good. Yeah. And, and he's has one of the toughest jobs. I, I've said that outside of goaltending, it's the toughest job in the NHL being a top pair defenseman because yeah. game in game out, you get the task of dealing with the opposition's top line and look at, look at every team's top line in the league. Like they're fucking ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> like one night you're getting, you know, Pasternak, Marshand, or you're getting, uh, when you play the Rangers, Criders, Zibanejad and Panarin. I mean, you're getting, it's a disaster of what you got to face every night. You're like, Jesus Christ, it never ends. It's like being held underwater in a pool. And they let you up for air for like a half a second. You're like, I need more time. I need to get more air. Um, let's get to some of the questions here that uh, rolled in, uh, Ant, uh, when I put out the tweet about us doing the show today. Let's start with Jerry. Jerry Temple says, uh, do you think management sees Hart and Erson as their preferable tandem beyond just this season? Um, my thought, on I, I don't know if it's a prefer. I don't know if they have a preferable tandem. I think they're trying to figure out what Erson is in the NHL with some relative consistency in this role he's in. Um Hart, I think, is it's obvious he's the number one. Uh, but where things go beyond here, I don't know. Hart's going to be due for to be extended on his uh, restricted contract after this season. Um, but what are you hearing in that regard about Hart and Erson as the tandem going forward, at least for now? I mean, you got some guys coming still, too. Uh, Zagaron uh, has had insane numbers over in the KHL. We know about Kolosov's numbers in the KHL. And then you have a, a young man in, in Carson Bjarnason that's uh, – performing pretty well with his team, although the team's not good. Uh, they have certain, certainly have good goalie depth in the system. So what's, what's the status of those two? Well, I think with Hart, um, there's been no contract talks. The, that's the latest I've heard. And I do think that his future is very much 
in limbo until you have some resolution on this hockey Canada stuff. I still believe that he's a guy that is very much in play if other teams have adv- uh, interest in him. And but at the same time, the hockey Canada stuff certainly puts a speed bump in that regard. Obviously, Urson, they've already committed two years to beyond this season. Um, and I do think that we shouldn't completely discount um, Felix Sandstrom. I know he's a pending UFA, but I know that they like Felix Sandstrom as a backup. But obviously, he has been the odd man out this year with good reason. He is the third guy in terms of talent and capability. But I do think they like these two guys in Hart and Urson. I'm just curious to see what comes of the Hockey Canada stuff and what that'll mean for Hart's future and his uh, the interest in him league-wide. And as you mentioned, they have a lot of goaltending depth uh, prospect-wise. Uh, and at this point, I wouldn't be surprised if this Hockey Canada thing ends up going nowhere. Yeah, you, you know, no, I mean, same with me. I, I, I just look at it and you go, okay, wouldn't something have happened by now? Like, this is getting crazy. Yeah, um, yeah. Spider, Spider, Spider 28 says... Uh, Outside of a true top-end talent, which I think would be most people's answer, what do you think the main thing missing from this current Flyers roster is, whether it's a be a positional hole, stylistic hole, or a tribute hole, speed size, or handedness, et cetera? So w- what are they missing right now? I mean, obviously, the, the ability to finish, like he kind of alludes to, the top-end talent. As far as what else is missing, I mean, I don't know. The size... Yeah, they're, they are small. And with Kate's out, they even smaller. And Kate's isn't that big. <laughs> I, I would say size up front and not just any goon. Like, just, like, functional size. Like, a Rantanen, a McKinnon, Kachuk brothers, like, Matthews. These are all big players. Even a Willie Nylander. I would say that, which allows you to get to harder player areas of the ice and inherently more dangerous areas of the ice. Talented and size is what you're saying. Talented size, functional, yeah. talented size, yeah, you skilled have size. It, but yeah, you have Tippett, but you need more players like that. And I think that overall depth down the middle. And yeah. I think that that is an area of concern um, long-term as even as it is presently, because you don't know if Goatsy is going to be that. You don't have much beyond Goatsy. You have Den Y.A., you have Barkey, you have Cole Knubel, but nothing that's really a slam dunk. So I would say size and overall depth down the middle are my two concerns. Derek says uh, Sandheim has been getting a lot of praise early this year, but he's a team worst minus 13, while Zamula is a plus 10 and Sealer's a plus plus 12. What is that telling us? Um, I don't think it tells you a damn thing. (laughs) It's a bit of an outdated stat. Yeah, and it tells me that he's playing against the top line of the opposition every night. And CLR yeah, and, and you look at time on ice. Like Sanheim's pay, played 567 minutes at uh, five on five, and you have Sealer who's played 363, and Zamula who's played 264. So yeah. I mean, not only is he playing more minutes, but he's playing harder minutes, especially at five on five, which is where. Um, the five on five or which is where uh, the plus minus comes into play. So that's all I would attribute to it. Yeah. Zamula and Sealer are more on the ice against a checking third line or a fourth line. <laughs> and they're just not, they're not scoring goals. Um, and the flyers have. So um, yeah, I don't put anything into that stat whatsoever. No, not so, much. Um, Darian Thatcher says, uh, any thoughts on the Broberg situation at Edmonton? Would a frost deal make sense for either side? 
I guess they're they're shopping Broberg now. Yeah, I think he wants out. I think his agent has been given permission. I think Freed reported that mm-hmm. to uh, look at options. I don't think it's a fit for the Flyers, honestly. Like a left shot D. I think they have plenty of those. And I think they have a lot of guys who can maybe leapfrog him internally. And I think Frost right now, because of their his cost certainty at $2.1 million until 2025 and their overall lack of depth down the middle, that's not something that I would explore personally. Would you look at a guy like uh, if Calgary does decide to to move some guys, a guy like Noah Hannafin? He needs contract <laughs> extension, obviously. I, I wouldn't. But he is a left shot guy. He's a left shot guy, and I don't think he's like a standalone stud. I think he's a very solid player. But if you're going to make an acquisition for a D like that, I would want to shoot higher. And, you know, he was drafted in 2015, so he falls into that TK age bracket. Um, he's not something, and he's not someone that I'm willing to give seven by seven to. So no, that's not a guy I, for now. I would just keep trying to build internally and try to find that guy through the draft. The, Cause the thing with it, he's the known commodity and he does bring some size on the back end. He is a hundred percent. Yeah. And that, and that is something I think they, they need to look at, but you know, you do have a, a bridge to bonk at this point as well. Um, let's get to one more here. Uh, CJW says Flyers went four, three and one versus their division on this little stretch. That was at eight straight games against the Metro. He says, uh, which was a good test for them, a barometer on their season thus far. Wouldn't you say? And then he says, how do you think they stack up against their division rivals? The caps and pens hanging on the Rangers in New Jersey are top rated. It's, it is a tough division. Um, I, I think there's a couple things in here. Um, I think that the pens, even though they're below the caps in the standings, and have played two more games and still below them, I think they're a better team than the Caps. Caps are minus 13 in goal differential. That you, We talk about plus minus. I think goal differential is a very meaningful stat. I really do. Pens sure. are plus 10 in goal differential. That's 23 goal difference in plus minus there. Um, the Devils are a minus three in goal differential team. And I just don't believe, you know, I think Hamilton being out is going to hurt them. And I don't believe in their goaltending. So while a lot of people said oh, the, the Devils are a cup contender, I don't know that to be true yet because I don't believe in the goaltending. I mean, they yeah. had that horrible loss to San Jose the other night. Man. Embarrassing. Flyers had so, one too. But there, so for me, there's a different like expectation the Dev- on the Devils and the Flyers. The Devils have their warts, but for me, like the Rangers and the Hurricanes to me are probably the top two dogs. Um, Hurricanes fundamentally and the Rangers, they have that top end talent. I think fundamentally they've improved under Lavi as well. So I would put them kind of in like that four, five, maybe three ish, like into the three to five category right now in that division of the Metro. I, I think the Rangers are the best team in the NHL right now. And the it's team very possible. the most in the, in the playoffs because of their depth and yep. their goaltending and, and the fact that the Lavi bump. <laughs> yeah he knows how to get a team in year one he always does final. he does in the every... cup final it's insane isn't it it's yeah. incredible with the exception of washington he's pretty much done it with every new team he's gone to yeah it's it so. really is astounding what he's been able to do in so many different places at this point yeah. um so yeah we got some questions in there we answered some good ones let me see if there any more came in that we want to get to here uh i think we're good yeah, so, and then supper time. So <laughs> yeah, it's time to it's time to feed the belly. 
Um, and great stuff as always. We covered a lot of ground. I think Anthony Sanfilippo is going to join us next week. Amazing. Um, Looking forward to that. Always love chat, yeah. chatting with ASF. Yep. So uh, we'll talk to him next week. And uh, everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Leave us a nice five-star rating and review. Follow Anthony on at ADemarco25 on Twitter. And make sure you read all of his work on thefourthperiod.com. Everybody, thanks for watching. We'll talk to you next week on a brand new Stick to Hockey Live. Have a great day, everybody. Coming.